I'd like to take a moment and read from the Gospel of Luke. We'll be reading Luke chapter eight verses, uh, Luke chapter two verses eight through fourteen. And as you know, each week we've been looking at how things in our culture can illustrate the Scripture. It's important that the Bible not just be some book on a shelf, but it be something that changes our lives and relates to our everyday life. And this morning, the text that we use is, and I will share a little bit about it when we get to the message, is one that the person who used it in a particular TV program got a lot of resistance for doing it. As you can imagine, our society gets so focused on secular thoughts that sometimes when we try to bring the gospel into it, it becomes offensive to people. But it's a wonderful story. It's a story of God's love and God's grace for each one of us. It's a story of the telling of the birth to the shepherds. And Luke records it, beginning with verse 8, in these words. And in that same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. We ask ourselves the question, why shepherds? Why are the shepherds the first one to whom this announcement gets made? God could have chosen anyone. God could have chosen to do it to the king. God could have chosen to make the first announcement to the Pharisees. It could have made it to the merchants who lived in Jerusalem, which was not that far from Bethlehem. But why do the shepherds? As a child, shepherds always fascinated me. They may fascinate you too, but for me, I think one reason they fascinated me is because I was a shepherd every single year in the Christmas pageant. I remember all of those cute little outfits that were prepared for me, and then, of course, when my boys came along, we made sure that they were shepherds too, so they could follow their father's tradition. But why did God choose them? And why did Luke record them? It's an interesting question. We come to those same questions when we come to the resurrection. Why the women at the tomb? Why were they the first ones who received the good news of the resurrection? It's interesting because as we look in our scripture, we have these messages. We also find people like Charles Schultz who wrote the Peanuts cartoon. All familiar with it. What sometimes isn't understood is that Charles Schultz was a very devout Christian, very serious about his faith. And so if you go back and you look at his peanut strip with that understanding, it's sort of like watching Mr. Rogers and realizing that Mr. Rogers is a Christian, he is a Presbyterian pastor, and he was one when he was alive and had his show. He absolutely brought the gospel every single place he could. He talked about reconciliation. He helped people understand their worth. He talked about sin and grace. Well, Charles Schultz did the same thing. 
And one year, it seems that Coca-Cola wanted to do an a, a big Coke advertisement, and they wanted to wrap it around an idea they had to have Charles Schultz do a Christmas story based on the Peanuts characters. So they contacted him, and there was not a lot of time. It was all done within a few months, and he agreed to put it together. And when he put that show together, which we're all familiar with, some say it is the most popular Christmas show that's shown each year. The one thing he did is at a moment in the middle of the show, and I'm sure if you've watched the, the TV special, you've seen it yourself, Charlie Brown is frustrated and it says, can anybody tell me or does anybody know what the meaning of Christmas is? And out walks Linus. Everything quiets down. is on the center of the stage. And he speaks Luke's gospel. He takes the very same passage that I just read a few moments ago. Then he comes back to Charlie Brown and goes, that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. Fascinating, though, he didn't go first to the birth, he went to the shepherds. It got that same question to me. Why the shepherds? So as we look at our gospel text this morning, Let's listen to why the shepherds, why they were important. Because as we understand why God chose the shepherds and why Luke records the story of the shepherds, we start understanding the meaning of Christmas that gets lost all over the place. I'm sorry, the disagreements that we have with families at Christmas time, those are not the true meaning of Christmas. The frustration that we have when we feel like we need to do one more thing, those are not the true meaning of Christmas. Having the perfect meal or the perfect decorated home, those are not what Christmas is all about. Christmas is a time in which we reflect on this amazing thing, that God loves this world so much that he sent us his son. So I guess this morning, not only do I proclaim the gospel, I guess I also am here agreeing with Linus, the story of the shepherds, really does tell us what Christmas is all about. It begins with a setting. It doesn't start with just anything. It doesn't say, now let me tell you a story that took place in Plymouth, Massachusetts. But it lets us know that near the town of Bethlehem, again in verse 8, in that same region, you get the setting. You know that when Luke is telling the story, he's telling you exactly where it takes place. And in that same region, near Bethlehem, you can read about it in the Old Testament book of Genesis. It's a tower that continued throughout the years. There was a tower called the Tower of Eder. It was near Bethlehem. What's important is by that tower, there were shepherds, and those shepherds watched over the sheep in their fields. But those sheep weren't just any sheep. Those were the sheep that were used for the temple sacrifices. So think about that. Our Savior is born in Bethlehem and out on a field near a big tower where these particular shepherds would gather for the purpose of tending the sheep that would be used for temple sacrifices. Those are the shepherds to whom the announcement is made. Those reading the story in the first century would have known that be sort of like me saying, you know, and this took place in Manhattan, and people have all sorts of stuff that they know about that. Well, in this case, people would have got that. Coincidence or God incidents? 
It's a question that I continue to ask in our life. How do we live our life by faith? If we live our lives by faith and saying, well, isn't that interesting? What a coincidence that our Savior happens to be born and the shepherds happen to be the ones who take care of the, the lambs that will eventually be used in temple sacrifice and our Savior, who's born in the manger, is the ultimate sacrifice. We could say, oh, isn't that a nice coincidence? Or is it a God incidence? Is it how God works in human history and our lives that we can start realizing that God is present even in some of the most mundane situations? I believe that Luke shows us that Jesus came for a purpose. Our Savior wasn't just born to be a cute baby because we like to hold babies at Christmas time or we think that children are such adorable creatures until the times when they're not adorable creatures. We can sort of start thinking that sometimes in our faith, can't we? We can miss the purpose. But right there from the beginning, we discover that the birth of Jesus is as far from commercialism as we can get because it's not about gifts and presents and decorations or anything else. It's about a child who's born, who has a purpose in life, and his purpose is to be the Savior of the world. But all the power and glory of God at that moment as Mary and Joseph are celebrating the birth of their new child and God is doing something amazing in this world, from the beginning we realize that that child has a purpose to grow up to be our Savior. Not that we would need an animal from the Tower of Eder in the fields close by, but we have better than that. We have the Savior. The one who gave his very life for you and for me. So contained within the birth of our Savior is a reminder that Jesus forgives us. Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus is the one to whom we can turn when our sins need to be forgiven. That's why Linus responds to the question, isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about with this telling of the narrative? And at the moment in which the angels proclaim, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news, Linus drops his blanket in the show. Linus, the kid who goes around constantly fearful, afraid, has a security blanket, doesn't know how to get through life without taking the blanket with him everywhere. And Charles Schultz does an amazing job of at that moment when it says, fear not. He drops his blanket, reminding us what the text is telling us. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid at Christmas. You have a Savior who's born in a manger. You have a child who is not just any baby that we celebrate the birth of. We have the one who will grow up to be our Savior, the one who will give his life for us, the one who will promise to be with us no matter what. There's nothing for us to fear in life. We can go from from situation to situation, knowing our sins are forgiven, knowing our past is taken away, knowing that wherever we are or whatever brought us here today, no matter what bothers us or encumbers us, we can give it to God because born in the manger is the Savior. Amen? It's amazing. But then how about those shepherds themselves? The text also tells us that not only was it in that same region, not only was it where these animals were being raised for temple sacrifice, but there were shepherds. And these shepherds weren't just any shepherds. They were keeping watch over their flock by night. The idea of keeping watch. It's a 
Greek word phylake. One of the watches of the night. There were four times during the night when shepherds would go and would spend a few hours watching and protecting sheep. And like all of us, they needed to go to bed. I guess they didn't have the midnight shift. They actually would rotate who would come in. And so for four different times throughout the evening, different shepherds would watch over the sheep and would stay alive. The shepherds remind us of the Old Testament image of shepherding, of God's image of God protecting and God taking care, but also the need for us to take care. For we become shepherds ourselves, don't we? At Christmas time, isn't it important for us to know that we are the ones who are responsibility of loving and protecting and shepherding and guiding. So historically, shepherds were the ones who had this great responsibility of watching animals. But now, by the time you get to the first century, something has changed. The shepherds are no longer in good favor. At one time, if you read through the Old Testament, you find shepherds were held in high esteem. By the first century, they were really outcasts. It was sort of the menial job that nobody else wanted, that if you couldn't get any other job or do anything else, you could always go out and watch these animals. And by the first century, people didn't like the smell of shepherds. They didn't like to be around them. And they were sort of almost like the homeless population of our day. How amazing then that God gives the first message of the birth of his Savior not to royalty, not to someone else, but to me, humble shepherds out on a hillside. Sort of reminds us that God cares about every single person, doesn't it? The text makes it clear that God cares about everyone. Do you ever feel unworthy in your life? Do you ever go through a moment where you think, man, I've messed up so much here? Remember, Jesus is the Savior of shepherds. There's nothing that you and I have done that goes beyond God's grace. Or have you ever had a moment where you look down on someone else and start thinking maybe somehow you're better than someone else? The shepherds remind us we can't do that. God's love and God's care is for everyone. By choosing the shepherds, what God is doing is just letting us understand that universal nature of who Christ is. You see it other times in the gospel stories. You get the same thing when the Magi come. These are completely non-Jewish people who come from what is modern-day Iraq for the purpose of celebrating the birth of this child. And you understand from the beginning, God is letting us know the Christian faith in the Savior Jesus is not something for us to hold to ourselves. It's something to be shared with others. It's someone to be told to others because God cares about everyone. And then when does this announcement take place? When do these shepherds who are keeping watch, what time of the day is it? It's at the night. Now, darkness in the first century is very different than it is today. I realize that because it's really hard to go anywhere where you can get away from light. I try sometimes. I want to go see a beautiful night sky, and it's really tough to get anywhere where you just get pitch dark. I used to actually be able to, when I'd go home to North Dakota, I'd be able to do it, but... 
the state of North Dakota has grown so much that it's hard for me to do it there. Last time I went, I drove like an hour out in the country, and everywhere I went, I could still see lights. And I remembered when I was a child that you could go places where you literally couldn't see lights. Now, I'm told if you go way out in the ocean, you can do it around here. There's places up in New Hampshire the same way if you're up in the mountains. But the idea of pitch black darkness is something that the modern world has taken away from us. And so when we think of night, we just think of having lights on or street lights. We get annoyed if a street light is out because it's a little bit dark. But in the first century, darkness was dark. Night was night. It was pitch black. And Luke lets us know that into this darkness an angel appeared and the glory of the Lord illuminated the light. In the midst of the darkness... The darkest part of the night, the glory of the Lord comes in this angel and illuminates the night. Well, our world maybe isn't an electronically dark place, but folks, our world can be a very spiritually dark place. We walk out of the safety of our sanctuary and we go to the streets, there are things everywhere. There are behaviors, there are attitudes, there are prejudices. There are drug and alcohol problems. There are domestic violence. You name it. There are problems everywhere. The darkness that we face in our world is constant. Where do we turn when there's darkness? Where do we turn? We turn to the Savior. We turn to the light of the world. We turn to the one who was announced by the angels to illuminate the darkness. That's why, again, I liken the Charlie Brown Christmas when Charlie Brown, what's he frustrated over? The darkness of his world. <laughs> Only he sees the darkness of his world in commercialism. He's told to get a tree. Oh, I want an aluminum tree, they tell him. When it's time to put on the Christmas pageant, all the kids want to do is they want to dance. They don't want to tell the story. And even his own dog lights his doghouse to try to win a big prize to have the brightest lit house in the neighborhood. What do you do when you get frustrated and you see darkness around you? It happens all the time. First of all, Christ is the light of the world, and the first thing we're asked to do is to bring that light to others, to pray with others, to let our light shine before others that they would see our good works and glorify God. But how about yourself? When you're in the midst of something that looks dark, look at something else. Look at what God is doing. All throughout the scriptures, it reminds us that when our mind is focused on something negative, quit focusing on that because it will tear us down every time and put our minds on something good. Paul in Philippians talks to us the same thing about putting our mind towards joy and something positive and celebrating what God's doing in our world. That's why I call it the 10-minute rule. When you and I get focused on something negative and keep looking at something negative, we enter into the darkness. We become part of the problem. That night was dark, and if all the shepherds had done was just complain about what a dark night it was, there was no good news. But when they focus on the angel and the light and what God's doing in this world, the darkness is illuminated. Same thing happens in our lives. Focus on God, what he's doing. Look at something you can celebrate. I talk to people all the time about this. When they get discouraged, I say, what good happened in your life today? What good thing is God doing in your world today? 
What good thing do you see your church doing? What good thing is your family having happen? What good place is God showing up? That's why I like the little saying that we have in our youth room. I'm the only thinker in my mind. There are no limits on what possibilities there are for me today. You see, when we choose to focus on darkness, our lives are not going to be very good. When we choose to focus on what God's doing, when we choose to see the illumination of the angel in the night, it's amazing what God is doing present and how it completely changes who we are and how we get through life. Why the shepherds? Because they're outcasts. They remind us that God cares for everyone. And they're the ones who were privileged to see the darkest part of the night illuminated by what God was doing with this angel coming present. And then the text concludes with a sign. I've always been fascinated with this. The angel then speaks to those shepherds and said, now this will be a sign to you. And we're looking for a sign. Oh, something amazing, something miraculous. Oh, there's going to be something huge. And the angel says, you'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a pretty interesting sign. If you just stop and think of it on that level. I'm reading the Christmas story, and Luke tells us that the sign is, yeah, it's a baby, but it's a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Well, the swaddling cloths, or the strips that are wrapped around the baby, made it clear to any first century Jewish person that Jesus is clearly a king. Because you see, the Jewish wisdom literature of the day said that all kings start their life in swaddling cloths, being nurtured by a mother. You see, people had a whole feeling of separation from royalty. And they thought the kings were so different than them. But the wisdom literature of the Jewish tradition would say, no, it's not true. Remember, every king begins being swaddled with cloths, nurtured by their moms. The baby that was born that day was born a king. That's why the angel says he's not just any kind of king. He's not going to be a political king. He's not going to be one who's going to turn the political system upside down, but rather what kind of king? The Savior, Christ the Lord. And this again is a good news for all people, for absolutely everyone. And then the story goes on and tells us, and the other part of the sign is you won't just find him anywhere. You're not going to find him in the temple. You're not going to find him in the palace. You're not going to find him in a nice home. You're not going to find him in the suburbs. And he certainly won't be at the shopping mall. But he'll be born in a manger. This king will be wrapped with cloths and lying in a manger. Well, a manger was a feeding trough for animals. I often think when I come to Christmas about the dog dishes we have at our home. And how our animals eat out of those dog dishes. And that's not exactly where we want our new granddaughter to be playing or being laid for a nap. But that's where God chose to have his child born and laid. In a feeding trough. Now, there's just sort of the obvious observation of that. That's where one gets nourished. Certainly, animals get their nourishment from there. But also the prophet Isaiah says, you know, an ox knows its owner. And even a donkey 
knows its manger, knows where to get its food, but my people don't seem to know how to get their spiritual food. Isaiah begins his prophecy that way. An ox knows its owner. A donkey understands its manger, where to eat. But people don't seem to know where to be spiritually nourished. Translation, this baby gives us an understanding of what really matters. Our nourishment, our minds need to quit being focused on all the stuff from our secular world, all the things that the world around us wants to proclaim to you, all the false messages that are going to tear us down, all the division that tells us it's okay to, it's okay to have your opinion and fight with someone else and, and break relationships with people over these things. All of that's just not true. Our truth comes from the Scriptures and from who teaches us to love everyone, to forgive as we've been forgiven, to know that that's where our spiritual nourishment comes from. That's why, again, I go one last time to Charlie Brown Christmas. At the end of the movie, they finally get it out. The children gather around. They remove the gaudy display from from Snoopy's doghouse. They put it around the tree. They decorate the tree, and they sing Christmas carols. Because somehow, finally, it's broken into them. Wow, this is a season to celebrate the birth of our Savior. That's what it's about, folks. It's not about all the stuff that stresses us. It's not all about the divisions. It's not all about the, the ways in which we think we're right and others are wrong or any of those kinds of things. It's all about understanding who Jesus is. He was the one who was born in Bethlehem, but the first proclamation of his birth could have been made to anyone. It was made to shepherds. It was made to shepherds. It's something to ponder. Now, I know over the years that different people have done different things to work to help us understand that, and one of them is the simple candy cane. Now, how many of you like candy canes at Christmas? How many of you don't? That's okay. You can give your candy cane to someone else. See, a candy cane gets us back symbolically. It's not the scripture, but it gets us symbolically back to remember the shepherds, because that's what it is. It is a shepherd's crook. A candy maker wanted to tell the story to children, and so he made a shepherd's crook. And in the shepherd's crook, it's interesting, there are two colors, and a real candy cane, I always talk about the fake candy canes, these are the real candy canes, have two colors. They're white and they're red. The red represents Christ who dies for us, the blood that was shed on the cross. And the white represents the fact that we are made pure. We are cleaned by God. We don't clean ourselves up. God's grace forgives us and cleanses us. It also has three stripes. Did you know that? Every real candy cane has three stripes. represents the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But what's also interesting is one of the three stripes is actually a whole bunch of little stripes going together, and it reminds us of the rope that they used to bind our Savior at the time of his death. Even the choice of peppermint is a choice that was to remind us of the herbs that were used at the death of Jesus and also what was presented by the Magi in his birth. So this Christmas, as we go these last couple days, and we think about a lot of other things, I invite us to be thinking about why the shepherds. That's really why I have the candy cans this morning. 
All those symbols are within it, but why the shepherds? Why Luke records for us that the first announcement was made to the shepherds and why God chose the shepherds to be the first recipients. Because we can find ourselves at some time feeling unworthy. It's good to remind ourselves that if God chose the shepherds, God chooses us. We may find ourselves judging someone else, and we may say, if God accepts those shepherds, I need to accept others. We may find ourselves feeling unforgiven, and we remember where the Savior was born and what the happening out on that land, that that's where the animals for this temple sacrifice was taking place. We find ourselves preoccupied with things that are stressing us and taking us down and bothering us at the holiday season. And then we stop and we think about how in the dark of the night it was those shepherds. No matter how dark it was around them, no matter how much they didn't like that was going on, no matter how fearful they may have been at that moment and have a startling thing happen, which I cannot imagine what that would be like, to be out in the middle of a dark night and all of a sudden this thing happens and they were certainly afraid. But they were told not to be afraid, but to focus on the light. Look what God's doing in your life. Look what God's doing in our world. Look how we can focus on that. We're not going to take communion this morning, but we're going to do it the same way. I'm going to invite you to come forward, and I'm going to give you all a candy cane. Only remember, it's not a candy cane. It's a shepherd's crook. Because I invite you this Christmas to remember why God chose shepherds to be the first recipients of the good news. Amen. take time and I'm going to invite you to come forward to get a shepherd's crook. in our seats, we just take this time just to hold that candy cane in your hand. 
Let the message resonate that Pastor Stan poured into each of us. And I just welcome everybody just to be still for a moment and just to breathe. That as you wrap your hand around the candy cane, just letting the words of the Gospel of Luke soak in to the shepherds. The good news was proclaimed that unto all of us the Savior was born. I welcome you just to breathe, to close your eyes or bow your head and just to take a moment of silence, to listen where the Holy Spirit is asking you or, or moving you or stirring you, just to listen as the music plays softly, just to hear. And we offer this prayer. Dear God, thank you for this day and this opportunity, this ability for us to come together and worship and praise your name, this moment for each and every one of us to be still, humbled in your presence. Reaching out to you, knowing that you have always loved each and every one of us fully and completely. That the joy of this season is that unto us a Savior was born. That through him are our sins and forgiveness, that we can release our fear and walk boldly into this time and this place and this season that you have placed each and every one of us to love you and to love one another with our whole hearts, our whole minds, and our whole souls. Thank you for this opportunity for us to come together and to glorify your name, for this opportunity for us to be still and to hear what our hearts need to hear. We pray all this in Jesus Christ's name, who as a baby was swaddled and laid in a manger for our spiritual fulfillment and fullness so that we, being co-heirs of a kingdom, are offered our salvation. We pray all this in his name. Amen.